happens to be using a church Bible, it's on page 1005. Verses 1 to 20. Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand these parables? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows and the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of his life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. That got your attention, didn't it? That's actually what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 3, that we heard read shortly uh, a, a little while ago. Listen, he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
And listening is what the Lord Jesus himself is very concerned about. Or rather, how we listen. You can see that from what he says in verse 9. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And he's concerned about how we listen because there's listening and listening. And the four types of listener to God's word that he goes on to highlight in the story, he then simply, he then tells, simply bears that out. May I begin with a personal reminiscence that's a story against myself. About the need, the lesson was to listen carefully to things of importance in general and for the possible life-changing potential when we do listen. And this was brought home to me, or rather, rather memorably, some 60 years ago, one sultry summer's afternoon, at school along the road, the Great West Road in Isleworth. A chemistry lesson was in progress. Perhaps along with the sleep-inducing summer afternoon weather, the effect of the school dinner on the physical digestion was proving not to be conducive or helpful to the mental digestion for some of the pupils. Whatever the cause, suddenly the restful tranquility was rudely interrupted by an arousing, wake up at the back there, boy, you might learn something today you'll remember for the rest of your life. Well, I'm bound to admit that I remember nothing else about that lesson and very little else about chemistry all the time I was at school. But I do remember those salutary and sage words of my chemistry master. And how relevant they are when it comes to listening to the good news. The gospel, the thing of first importance, the chief headline, as I described it earlier. But much more important for you and me than merely remembering the news for the rest of our lives is that how we respond to the good news. To respond in such a way that it will transform you for the rest of your life, for time and indeed for eternity. In today's reading in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 8 describe four different kinds of soil. And these represent four different kinds of listener. Four different responses to listening to God's word as we see in the explanation of those four different types of response in verses 15 to 20. Three are bad responses and only one is a good response. Now I'm tempted to call this parable the parable of the soils, and some far greater than I have done so, although as was pointed out to me once in Matthew's account of this parable in chapter 13 of his gospel, the Lord Jesus himself says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. And as I told the children earlier, this may be that the Lord first of all wanted to encourage his sowers of the good seed of the word of God even though there will be discouragements, the seed will fall on bad soil, there would be a response, an encouraging response. So without further ado, let me try to translate this story we've heard read in Mark 4 into what, dare I say, might be going on right here this morning, right now here in this church, as I speak 
going on in your heart, going on in my heart. Could it be that on any given Sunday, as the good seed of God's word is broadcast by those we hope are faithful sowers of the word, these four types of response may be represented in an average church congregation as it listens either to the basic gospel about our guilt and God's grace, about our great sin and God's so great salvation, or in the case of those who have responded to the gospel, to a faithful exposition of any part of God's word that will build them up in their faith, including you and me here today. In what we might call this broadcasting house, the BBC, the Bible Broadcasting Corporation, where good news is broadcast every week. Now, I can't presume to know whether this congregation is just like the kind of group of listeners that are represented in my story, but God does. And with that in mind, let's think wildly for a moment. Suppose God were somehow miraculously to make a kind of division among us as we listen here this morning, myself included, I wonder to which of the four categories you and I will be assigned, given, that is, our, spir- our present spiritual condition. I want to personalise these responses a bit more by imagining, focusing on four imaginary couples in church on a Sunday who represent the four different kinds of listener. So let's imagine we have a spiritually superficial couple represented by the seed lying superficially on the wayside, lying on the surface of the pathway, so it's superficial. A spiritually shallow couple represented by the shallow rocky soil. A spiritually stifled couple represented by the good seed whose growth is stifled by other plants being there and growing up in the soil. And finally, a spiritually serious couple represented by the good soil. First of all, then, let me introduce you to Superficial Cynthia and Superficial Susan. The pathways that would crisscross the unenclosed fields in those days would be hardened, trodden down soil, unprepared to receive the seed. They were meant to be pathways. They weren't a place the seed was meant to be. But you broadcast it, like that man was still broadcasting, some of it if it, lay, if it landed there, it would just lie there on the surface. But not for long. Thanks to their amazing bush telegraph, the birds would soon swoop down from all over the place and steal away the seed, as we read in verse 4. As the sower was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came, up, came and ate it up, we read in verse 4. And it's just like that for superficial Sudia and Susan. They hear with their ears, but what they hear goes in one ear and out the other. It's just like the birds snatching away the seed. What this couple hears with their ears has no chance to take root in their hearts. Jesus describes people like this in verses 14 to 15. When he said, um, where the word is sown, as soon as they, they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Could this be you or me? 
people like this have hearts unprepared or even hostile and resistant towards receiving the gospel, just ready for the devil to come and steal away the seed. One way, of course, he may uh, do so is to enable, to ensure that le- things of lesser importance, lesser consequence, come to mind and, and take away what impressions, what we, we, we may be getting of truth. Rather like a man, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you've read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, imagines an older devil training a younger devil. And there's one time he says, there's a, he, there's a man in the British Museum reading something that might make him awake to the good news. And so the older, the older devil says, this is what I did. when I, I wasn't such a fool. I, I instantly struck at the part of the man which I had best under my control and said it was time for lunch. Once he had got him that, I walked him out. He walked out into the street and the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting in the midday paper. A number 73 bus going. And before he reached the top at bottom of the stairs, I got him to realise this is the real world. All those things I was thinking about, they're a bit airy-fairy. This is a healthy dose of, give him a healthy dose of real life. And uh, how about us today? The moral is don't let ordinary things distract you from thinking seriously about your spiritual well-being. Something you are encouraged to do as you come to church. It could happen, you could get into a sort of conversation afterwards uh, about ordinary things. You head off down the road, it won't be the 73 bus, not this side of Hounds but the H32 possibly. You start thinking about your Sunday lunch. Did I set the timer right? Or the football, or the cricket, or the garden, or the next episode of your favourite TV programme, or the next level of your favourite computer game, or worrying over possible transport difficulties, or your hospital appointments, or maybe thinking about what faces you tomorrow. And oh dear, it occurs to me I might be doing the devil's work, putting these thoughts in your mind that weren't there. However, there's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer in which we pray, may we so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. That's a good prayer to counter Satan's trying to big up to us the things temporal, everyday things, insinuating that these are the things that are really real. The thing is, of course, all people around us and through the media, we're being brainwashed to think that the physical world around us is all that's really real. If you're old enough to remember a man called Carl Sagan, he used to do a program and wrote a book called Cosmos, and he used to insinuate the cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. This world alone. Champions like Richard Dawkins and, and people like that will say, this is the real world, the other stuff's nonsense. But we, we need to wake up with God's help from this secular spell and move swiftly along the road from superficial Susan and superficial Sudia, and spend some time now with a shallow couple. I'm deliberately not looking when I say this, in case you think I'm looking at you and say, oh, this is you, and it isn't. But um, spend some time with a shallow couple. I've got to be careful, I say, when I land my eyes. I'm going to call this shallow couple Shallow Sean and Shallow Sheila. Jesus likens in verses 5 to 6 such people to seed sown in a thin layer of topsoil. Now, this topsoil is soon warmed by the sun and results in a swift and seemingly very promising growth. It shoots up, but sadly the soil is only shallow, as we read in verse 5 of the story. 
It just lands and it springs up, but uh, it hasn't... Because the, the, the soil is shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. I seem to remember Merton, when you moved into your bungalow years ago, that you, I, I understand that you, um, you, you moved, you, 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 you decided to dig in your new garden. I think you put your fork or your spade and you discovered that there was at the top soil, there was, there was concrete or something underneath, if I remember rightly. Uh, it's a bit like this soil here. The problem with the seed sown in the shallow ground is that it would not be deeply rooted. Did you notice? It's no root. And so the sun, being beneficial, will become baleful and, 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 and it will scorch and wither the seed. Now, shallow Sheila and shallow Sean hear with their ears and get all excited about what they hear like you might get excited about a film at the cinema or on Netflix or a new hobby or like when when you can easily just get caught up in the emotion of the moment when you're in a crowd, say at a music gig or a football match or during an emotional film or even at a political or protest rally. But when it comes to the good news making a real change in your way of thinking and speaking and how you treat other people, or when people start laughing at you for being religious, you're out. You, you, you seem as keen as mustard until the crunch comes and there's going to be a cost for being a disciple of Jesus. Look what it says in verses 16 to 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress has a character called Pliable. Now Pliable seems to begin well in his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. In fact he seems to be doing better than poor old Christian who's struggling on with his burden on his back which Pliable doesn't seem to have. He even tells Christian to get a move on. However when Pliable lands up in the muddy ditch called the Slough of Despond that's it. He's done with being a pilgrim of course, it's a different story for Christian. Despite his ups and downs, he perseveres to the end. The lesson is, don't just be a fair weather friend of Jesus. We're called to, as Paul puts it, endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. However, people like shallow Sean and Sheila are more like chocolate soldiers. And you know what happens to chocolate soldiers? They melt when the heat's on, don't they? So what's the problem with this couple? Well, I've already identified it. The answer lies there in verse 17. They have no root. To borrow a picture from the Old Testament, if you are successfully to bear root upward, you've got to put roots deeply and securely downward. Are you deeply and firmly rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you have by God's grace repented of your sins and put your trust wholly and solely in him as the saviour of sinners. And are you growing in your knowledge and love of him through reading his word, through prayer, through regularly meeting with God's people for biblical teaching, spiritual fellowship, and breaking of bread and corporate prayer? Or have you still no 
moving on again, around my imaginary congregation, I will look down at this point. We spent a little while with superficial Sudia and superficial Susan, as well as shallow Sean and shallow Sheila. Let's move along the rows and pause and spend some time with the spiritually stifled couple I'm going to call Stifled Stephen and Stifled Stella. Now, this couple's problem is that they're like soil that has other things growing in it. We read of this soil in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and, and, and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And because these other things are growing more swiftly and sturdily than the good seed, they either start stealing the moisture and the richness of the soil, or they're shutting out the good sunlight and fresh air from the good seed, and so its growth is stifled. Stifled Stella and stifled Stephen. Here were their ears, but there are so many other things going on in their heads and their hearts and their lives that these things stifle God's good news. As Jesus put it, other things come in and choke the word. Things like, say, their money worries, their health issues, their desire for present comfort, their future ambitions and fears, their regrets, their general moans and groans, maybe their daily dose of distractions on their smartphones, the sort of downloads that may give you much information but possibly little wisdom. Or finally, maybe just the couple's pursuit of more and more stuff. As Jesus says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Other things, even good things good and legitimate in themselves, may so preoccupy our lives that they may be in danger of stifling the message of the kingdom. Indeed, of muting the message altogether. Sadly, it could be even a case of the good becoming the enemy of the best. When a good thing becomes a God thing because it's our, then our primary concern in life, the big thing, it becomes a bad and potentially damning thing. So I wonder what you might be setting your heart on right now. What I might be for that matter. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. And he also said, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Remember Demas, of, Paul, of whom Paul sadly has to write, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. But we must move on. And at last, thankfully, we spot further along the row an eagerly attentive, serious couple whom I'm going to call Sirius Sebastian and Sirius Seema. Now, Sirius, Sebastian, and Seema really do listen. They are the real deal, we might say. Truly, in Jesus' words, they have ears to hear. And how they hear is like good seed sown in good ground that produces a harvest of goodness, goodness like trusting in Jesus to forgive them for all their sins, like proving God's help day by day to live in a way that pleases him, not perfectly, but sincerely, beginning to show something of the fruit, the harvest of God's Spirit at work in their lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus tells us a variety, there's a variety among the good soil here, some more productive than others. 
660 or 30 times. Verse 23, what was sown. However, they're all in their varied ways making seriously good responses to the message of the kingdom. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death for our sins and rising again to be our saviour. And when you think about how seriously God responded to our lost condition, not anything less than a serious response to the message about the kingdom be a gross insult to him. Love so amazing, so divine, says the hymn, demands my soul, my life, my all. So you might ask, how then might I know that mine is a serious response to God's word? Not just a spurious response like the other three couples. Well, perhaps the simple answer is this. How might I know? The answer might be, what is there to show? As the old saying says, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be sufficient evidence to convict you? And it's very important because there's, I can't go into this the time-wise, there's a very difficult saying of Jesus in this story, verses 10 to 12, which boils down to the fact that uh, the parable of the sower had a dual purpose, to reveal truth to the careful hearer, but to conceal truth from the careless hearer. And uh, no wonder Jesus warns about the importance of right listening in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I can't fully grasp the mystery of what Jesus says about people. In fact, these parables could even harden you rather than help you um, if you're not having ears to hear. But what it basically says to me is don't trifle with God's truth lest God leave you in your unbelief. So it's against that solemn background. It's so important for us to know if we are genuinely responding to God's good news like Sirius Sebastian and Sirius Seema. Let me do a bit of a diagnostic, ask you, pose you a few questions. For example, have you become aware of your need for God? Are you beginning to be dissatisfied with what this world or maybe even your present religion is offering you? A great Christian teacher prayed this long ago. You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Does that somehow resonate with you? Have you become concerned about your character? Do you know what it means to feel guilty and in need of God's forgiveness? Have you found peace with God through trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ? He died to take upon himself the guilt and the punishment of sinners and to clothe them in the righteousness of Christ so that they could be right with God again. Well, how does the Bible affect you? Do you want to know more? Have you what you can only describe as a hunger for it? Read Psalm 119 and see something of that the psalmist holy hunger and thirst for the word of God. Do you feel drawn to other Christians? Not because you may share the same interests or hobbies or have the same employment or social connections in common, but because they are Christians. Do you feel at home among those who love the Lord Jesus, even when they don't share the same interests and hobbies as you or have the same social connections as you? Do you, in effect, you feel a kind of kinship with them, even if they're older or younger than you or are from a different ethnicity or social set to yours. Or if you're really honest, do you feel like a fish out of water when you're in their company and you feel more at home with your pals at work or at school or your relatives at home who don't know and love the Lord Jesus? 
again, just don't want to prolong this, but do you find yourself wanting to pray? Even when you're on your own and not just when you're feeling desperate or just want to ask for selfish things. Do you find yourself turning to God to help you to live the way he wants you to live and to do so because, albeit in a way you would judge to be very weak, in a faint way, you can sincerely, sincerely say with the psalmist, I love you, Lord, or perhaps like the Apostle Peter, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Or again, have others noticed and have, may have even commented upon the fact that your, your life is different since you profess to become a Christian? Or again, let me ask you, as I must finally ask myself, are you satisfied that Christ is all you need to be right with God? If you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would it be about what you're trusting in, in yourself? Or are you trusting wholly and solely in the Lord Jesus? And finally, what does the Lord Jesus mean to you? The Apostle Paul could say, to me, to live is Christ. But hopefully by way of happy contrast, you are by God's grace a good ground listener. The good seed of God's word has shown you yourself and your insufficiency to save yourself and has shown you your saviour and his all-sufficiency to save you. <coughs> so that's great, but uh, don't all that start swelling up this self-congratulation. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples in verse 11. <coughs> the, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Note well that all-important word, given. Who has made you to differ from anybody else? Even the likes of the Apostle Paul felt bound to say, I am what I am by the grace of God. <coughs> so, sum up. Are you, am I, among the superficial Sudeers and Susans, or the shallow Shawns and Sheilas, or the stifled Stephens and Stellas, or are we among the serious Sebastians and Seamers? Which is the most fitting response to the one who once said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies. But if it remains, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And by that he meant that he, the infinite God, the Lord Jesus, God of God and light of light, for our sakes and for our salvation, was a prepared not just to be contracted to a span in order to be incomprehensibly made man, but to be conceived as a pinprick-sized being in a teenage virgin's womb. To grow up in humility and obscurity, to endure the agony of Gethsemane, the ignominy and pain of the, his trial, the spitting, the slapping, the scourging that went along with it, and above all to endure the unspeakable horror of suffering, dereliction and death at Calvary. The Son of God for the light said, you and me was prepared to become God forsaken. What love! What a saviour! Someone's put it like this, no one has ever descended so low because no one has ever come from so high. And he was prepared to for the likes of you and me. So then, love so amazing, so divine, surely demands my soul my life, my all. And that begins with listening. So, listen. Let's conclude by singing together hymn 453. Takes us to the cross. 
And there we see the love of God poured out for the likes of unworthy you and me. It's 453 in the hymn book, if you're using it, it's on the wall there. When I survey the wondrous cross.